I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back, fellow optimists. Sofia Tapia here, your host on the Future Positive Podcast, a podcast from XPRIZE that aims to bring you the most future-forward topics from the world's brightest minds. If you're new to the show, in each episode, you'll hear from world leaders, creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, and changemakers who are paving the way for innovation on and off this planet we call home. So settle in because we're about to take off and dive into another radically optimistic conversation. Iris AI is an AI science assistant able to read and connect scientific knowledge that will grow up to be the world's first AI researcher within a decade. Behind this revolutionary system is Anita Shirobretta. She founded Iris AI in 2015 and has most recently been competing in the IBM Watson AI Prize. Iris AI is her fourth startup and she was one of Forbes' top 50 women in tech in 2018. For this podcast, XPRIZE's own, Nima Dadganiku sits down with Anita to ask her all about her experience as a thought leader and as a woman in AI, her tenacity to identify problems, and her incredible ability to solve them. We also learn which women have inspired her along the way. So buckle up, because it's time to take off. Hi, Anita. Thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me where you're actually zooming in from today? I am zooming in from a place called Bordingborg, which is a ridiculously small town about an hour south of Copenhagen in Denmark. How's the Denmark doing during these hail and hopefully of the pandemic? I will say, you know, better than, than many other places, your your location included, potentially. The Danish government has been has been really good with, you know, locking things down, giving people support. Obviously, there's unemployment benefit and, you know, it's it's... No country, I think, is perfect, but the I think Denmark has, has handled lockdown really well. And there's never fully been like lockdown, lockdown where you can't go outside. So it's been overcomable. Absolutely. Excellent. Let's dive right into the, the, the questions here. I remember as a kid, I was always obsessed with Legos. That might have been like a, a signal that I might be interested in technology. I, I want to know, like, what was your childhood like and, and what got you interested in technology? So it's it's funny. In, in some ways, I didn't I wasn't really into tech as a kid. I mean, I, I did love Legos, too. I, I will say that. But not, maybe not with that, you know, that absolute obsession. I loved handicrafts. I loved creating things. I loved beads and all kinds of things like that. Like creating things has always been, been part of me but actually from I think it was from like high school when I started chemistry that's where I really was like wow I love this part of of the world and you know physics and math to a certain degree as well so 
I was never into like software coding, IT kind of tech. Harder sciences was was very much part of my young life and early, you know, late teens, early adulthood. I, I love that. Who were your inspirations as a younger person? So I actually had, I think my biggest role model ever and inspirations was, was my grandmother. There's so many stories of her, but you know, she traveled the world from the age of 18. She definitely was not going to get married. She was going to be independent. Then finally, eventually, she did end up marrying my granddad and had a few children. But she had children at the age of 32 after having, like, traveled the world, which was really late at that stage, right, two generations ago. And then when my grandfather died, she took over his business and ran it for 10, 15 years before, you know, retiring, which meant that she went to lead the Red Cross in her region and went to university for the first time at 79. I think that spirit maybe i'm i'm I, there's some genetic part of being born like that as well but like that was for me like the biggest role model she was she was my best friend in addition to being my grandmother so that was i think she's been like the the biggest idol i've ever had it's interesting I, you sometimes hear that we are like a reflection of our grandparents not our parents and, and, and <laughs> i can definitely see that with you that would you, as you're describing your your grandmother that i, I can see that reflection like generationally so. <laughs> yep yep you know, you talked about chemistry and you talked about science, but uh, you work in AI now. I'm interested when the, the pivot happened towards artificial intelligence and machine learning. So the actual shift to machine learning and AI, that happened when I had a problem to solve that required machine learning and AI. It's, it's in some ways that simple. Although if I go back to kind of some previous startups, you know, for a long time, they were very, very mathematical heavy. They were not science heavy, but but like there were, you know, complex problems that required a lot of, of math and in retrospect could probably have done way better with some machine learning. But this was pre-2014, pre-2013. So it was like nothing was really happening on that front of really kind of applied AI. So there were projects of the same nature, but it wasn't until 2015 and starting Iris AI that, you know, where we realized, okay, well, if we are going to solve this problem, we're going to have to apply some some serious AI machine learning. That was the starting point. And then I just had a very, very, very steep learning curve of learning the, the lingo and the concept and the reality. What is the hype and what is the hope of AI and what is it, what is it not? 2015 and beyond. So it's been a, a short but steep ride. Before we talk about Iris, I'd love to know what those startups or the companies that you worked at before you founded Iris AI. So it's been a good variety. Iris is my fourth own startup, and I've been with a, a Silicon Valley startup for a couple of years as well. That was that was not my own, but I was um, fairly essential. I was the, the only one left after everyone else had quit or been fired, which was an interesting situation. Anyway, that's a story for another time. But it's ranged from automatic matchmaking between students and internships to get people real life experience in a much easier way than the HR industry is able to to handle today. So that was matchmaking and and it was just a, you know, a simple kind of mathematical approach to it, but that could easily have been, you know, machine learning involved there. That was actually a deeply complex mathematical model developed by some researchers for doing energy optimizing of heat exchanger networks in the process industry, so like paper pulp mills and and ref oil refineries, and it was a method for seeing you know, what if we changed the way we placed our heating elements and cooling towers and heat exchangers to optimize the energy consumption? So a little bit of math and, you know, working with people who are way smarter than me on the technical front. It's been 
a fun variety of different companies. My very first company was a theater company where we hosted, you know, theater classes and performances and things like that. It's been a good mix of startups. It's interesting that you have this uh, history of uh, entrepreneurship. Kind of echoes back to that that bug you mentioned about creating things and building things. Is that the the, the through line here? I think so. And and like I mean, remember too that like I don't have a comparison with what it's like to not be in a startup. Like I've never, I've never had a real job. I've had a lot of like side gigs, like. You know, I've been a babysitter, a nanny, uh, all kinds of like side jobs, theater teacher, etc. But I've never had like a full time employment per se, so I don't know how how that compares. But but yeah, for me, it's definitely that process of like, hey, I have an an idea, or I have a problem I want to solve, or I mean, with my first company, it was simply like, I'm not going to get jobs in theater. Well, that's going to be a problem. Let's let's make ourselves a job, and that was that was the basic problem we solved at that point. So yeah, I love the creative process. For me, that's really what it is about. It's you know going from nothing and some kind of vague idea of something I want to achieve, and and a big dream and a big fluffy vision, and then sinking your teeth into it and and just building and having that iterative creative process of like okay we're trying we're gonna try this nope didn't work okay we're gonna try this other thing nope didn't work but you're always working towards a big vision and that's that's just a creative process uh, and we're just using different tools than I did back when I was studying theater yeah very interesting uh, turning to Iris AI so you know you're an AI XPRIZE team but there is an XPRIZE connection or a Pierre Diamandis connection for this founding story right yeah that is true. No, we, we founded Iris AI, which is also where I heard about XPRIZE the first time, which was at, at Singularity University. So we spent the summer at this GSP program, 80-something classmates for the full summer, and we formed a little team, uh, Maria and Jacobo and myself, and a couple more people involved as well. We started the company at Singularity, or the project, or the idea. It wasn't even a company, you know, it was, it was just an idea. And we started it at Singularity, where we also heard about XPRIZE. And that's that's kind of how we came to think that XPRIZE would be a good idea as well. Because we, we knew the ecosystem. It's a lot of the same people. How can you, you know, deploy people and capital to really change the world and make the world a better place? Which is such a cliche, but it's it's so important, right? If you're not changing the world for the better, if you're not aiming at doing that, then what are you using your time on? Like, what are you spending your time? It can be small or it can be big, but like, that's kind of part of being human, isn't it? To try to make this world just a little bit better. And so, yes, Singularity, XPRIZE, uh, all kind of the same thinking and, and looking at the, the exponential tech as well, of course, and how you deploy that. Can you tell me a little bit about Iris AI itself and uh, what you guys do in terms of your, your use of AI for good? Yeah, so the, the fundamental building block, if you can call it that, of what we do is a... AI, machine learning, NLP, we have a saying in Norwegian, beloved child has many names, but you know, we, we, we've built this core engine for scientific text understanding. So understanding the, the context and the, and the content of scientific text. And we're using that engine in a variety of different ways. Our first use case was for academics. So researchers in universities and research institutes doing literature reviews, which is an incredibly tedious process. We have an exponentially growing body of knowledge in the shape of research papers and patents. And it, it grows, I mean, we're talking 6,000 or so new papers published every day, 3,000 in, in STEM only. And it's just like, it's becoming increasingly impossible. So we have, you know, a suite of tools to do literature reviews for academia. 
And then we've also expanded that, seeing that uh, literature reviews and and handling content like that in in industry just requires some some separate tools. So right now we're we're just launching or have recently launched um, a tool to do data extraction from patents and research papers. So you know you might have pharmaceutical clinical trials, like look at look at COVID and the number of of a crazy amount of patents and oh sorry papers coming out on that right in clinical trials. And you know how do you how do you get all that data together from all the papers it's published in the tables and the text and put that together in one format for your use? And so that data extraction is. It sounds really like not a silly example, but it sounds like a really boring task. But if you look at the tech that is required to understand, not just like, hey, here's a word, but like understand the context of that word and understand the unit and the value and the context it's being applied in and actually connecting all of that together. That's really, really challenging. As far as we can tell, we are the first in the world to achieve this, which is pretty exciting. And that's more of the the kind of corporate company offering, but we keep our, our academic tools as well. They're really important to us because it's the, the university researchers we, we I'm not going to say love the most out of fear of insulting anyone, but but that, that's where our heart started lying and, and still lies. What I love about Iris is it's a really good example of AI augmenting human capacity or human ability. Uh, oftentimes when we think about AI, we think about, you know, dystopian, right? You know, robots are coming to take our jobs, but but AI can be used in ways where it's like, you know, it's, it's boring or it's difficult or it's pattern recognition over millions of documents. And, and Iris is a really great example of that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I obviously agree. But no, I think that's I mean, I think that's where I mean, per 2021, I think that's where AI has the biggest impact. Right. Because it is those those boring, tedious tasks that you you really don't want to do as a human, also because it's error prone. And that's where machine learning systems of 2021 shine the best, right? It's not in the complex decision making. We're simply not there yet. Humans are great at that, but it's in the tedious, nitty gritty data extraction and searching and managing big amounts of data. Like that's where these systems can can really uh, make a difference. The other thing I really love about Iris is the the way your team works. It, it's a distributed team, right? They they come from all around the world. Yes. That is true. Well, I mean, we're mainly in a kind of European-ish time zone these days. So we kind of just spend two time zones as opposed to all of them. Now, so we're about 24 people and we live in about 11 different countries, but we represent something like 17 different nationalities because we have some people who kind of have, have lived and worked and, and are born in very different places than they live today. So so yeah, we're a little everywhere. Uh, we've got a couple of hubs where we have, you know, a, a couple of more people than the average, but... But really, we, we will hire the best talent where we find it. And, and if people want to move, that's okay with us. We have no interest in, in, in people's location, per se. Iris is, is a semi-finalist in the, the AIX Prize. And it, it's amazing to think back on this kind of four-year, or I guess five-year now, journey of, of you know starting at the singularity and making it all the way to the semifinals out of the hundreds of teams that, that competed from around the world to make the top 10. Looking back on that journey, like what are the ups and downs? Because it's... It's not a straight line, right? No, 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 no. I mean, it's it's funny because like the X Prize competition started when when the company was just six, seven, eight months old or something. I mean, we were at the stage where like I think there was like a thousand dollar fee to join, and we were like, oh my god, that is so much money! A 
pretty big chunk of our first investor check. And we're like, ah, do we want to do like, do we really want to do that? Like that was the, that was the starting point. Right. And, and, and we did, and I'm glad we did. The competition has kind of followed the company as, as we've grown all the way through. And, you know, we've definitely had our ups and downs, both with the competition. I mean, we got, we, there was one of the rounds we didn't make it through. (laughs) I think it was like the second year, like the first year we won like the milestone award. The second year we didn't get through and we were super sad. And then we got like, there was one of the companies that I think went bankrupt or something. And we were apparently first on the waiting list. So we got it in any way. And then the following rounds, we made it to the semifinals. So it just goes to show, you know, the, the process, the ups and downs it is of, of building a startup and, and running a project like this. And then on the flip side, the company itself has also gone through these ups and downs. And early 2019, a little too many things went wrong at the same time. You know, we had 16 people in the crew and we had two weeks of salary left in the bank. And, and there would be, you know, a couple of months till we saw more money. And, you know, we've been through those up and downs as well. And, and the, those ups and downs is just part of startup life. Some, some harsher than others. There is no such thing as a smooth startup ride in any way shape or form iris is one of i think three uh, teams in the top 10 who are female-led and it is an interesting thing because female-led startups especially in the ai world are few and far in between and it's, it's an interesting problem because i've found more often than not that female engineers and female entrepreneurs are like if not equal oftentimes better at, at, you know at, because they, they have to they have to overcome so much to get to just the even playing field that they they kind of like they do more with less essentially is the way I look at it. Uh, do you agree with, that? agree with that? If you look at the data, right, female founders are founded less, they get less capital. When they do get capital, it's lower valuations. There's just a, a lot of really depressing figures and data on that. So you might be right. People have a tendency to say it's a pipeline problem and just not enough women, but like it's a systemic issue, right? We just have to start in, in kindergarten, right? Or in, in early preschool where, you know, where if girls make a few errors on their math test, they're told, oh, but great, you did so good. And and then if a boy did, you know, they're told, come on, you can do a little better, right? And and I'm not making that up. That is scientifically proven that that is what teachers do after observations in the classroom. So on a, you know, a general observation. So I think there is a systemic problem where we, where we discourage it, not, you know, deliberately most of the time. But I think that's the world we live in. And now I talked myself way out of your question, but that was, <laughs> but that was, yeah, that's my reflections on it. I think the data data shows that the female founded companies uh, perform better, like they have a better ROI on investors than normal, you know, male led companies. So, so I think there definitely is something to that kind of the scrappiness that kind of drives that. But I mean, things are changing though. The problem is like, if you go and pitch in a room of all men, right? There is an inherent bias that is, exists there, and it's just you know it's a human nature. Like you want to, you want to reflect similar things. You know you want to see. So there is a bit of a sea change I've seen with female-led fa- uh, investors and and funds uh, and and organizations kind of pushing that. And have you been able to kind of tap into that to kind of amplify your work? We have some female investors, but yeah, I mean I think it's right, and it's and it's so hard, right? Because with a couple of honest you know exceptions, I've never experienced any deliberate sexism from from any investor. Like all of the investors I meet, almost all the investors I meet are are great, amazing people, right? That will have meetings with me with me and discuss things. The, the thing that I've just, you know, have experienced several times, and I think a little too many times for it to be a coincidence, is that like we make it through the first meeting, the second meeting, they're starting to pre- prepare their internal investment memos, and like it's starting to smell like a term sheet. And then, you know, we have this meeting, and the guy in front of me is like, you know what? I just, oh, 
it's it's interesting what you do like I can't like there's something there's something with a gut feeling like I just think the valuation is a little high you know I'm oh, I can't yeah I can't put my finger on it but as an investor you have to go with your gut feeling and and I'm like oh, great yeah yeah I get it and 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 like but it, it's not like the thing is, and it's so important that this is not deliberate, right? This is not like someone sitting there and going, well, she's not like, it's just like, it is so ingrained in, in, in how we work. And we have a lot of male investors too, that, that, you know, has managed to make it past that and have a good gut feeling and, and, and trust us, which is, so it's, it's absolutely doable. It is very much a thing, but it's also really hard, right? Because if I ask, you know, any of those investors who, who went through that process with, with me and with us, you know, he would say, oh, no, it was it was the business model or like I couldn't get myself to believe you would make money or like there was, you know, there was something else. You can always find find those reasons. And, and I think you can genuinely genuinely believe those reasons. And and at the end of the day, come on, like we're an impact startup. We build products for academics. We solve some really complex problems that also investors have told us we are batshit crazy to even sorry for, for swearing. You know, that we are absolutely crazy for even trying, attempting to to fix, right, from a technical perspective. You know, so there's that too. So it's not an easy startup to raise funding for anyway, but I don't, you know, I don't know on the funding side it has helped me to be female, rather the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. The The idea of representation kind of speaks to me where, you know, when we're growing up, even as kids, male or female, or, you know, white or Middle Eastern or, you know, African American, oftentimes the reflection you see in what you know people who look like you do or achieve either in movies or actually in the real world can oftentimes in- inspire you or not inspire you to kind of reach for the stars or, or reach for you know become an engineer or a doctor or you know do something else do you participate in that that kind of like you know mentorship or giving back or you know speaking and, and being a public figure to inspire others and the next generation to kind of you know follow in your footsteps yeah, so I, I try. I have a principle that if that if asked and, and it's something to do with girls joining, you know, tech uh, educations or, you know, female founders, startups, you know, all, all of those things. I have a principle of, of saying yes and saying yes unpaid, even though I'm usually very sparse with my time for for things that I don't that take away from my race that I don't get paid for. But but I do that. And and I think it's important, right, that we see ourselves. And, and I think but I think for me showing up there. It's a gender thing, sure, but it's more than that. So if I look at like the average female person, like I'm not it, right? <laughs> like I'm weird. And so, and so, you know, for me, it's also about seeing not there's like, oh, that is a, a female founder or a female investor or a female speaker. But it's also about seeing someone who's who's like you. Right. And And I will be like some people. And there's definitely going to be a lot of people who don't recognize themselves in me. And that's also good. So for me, role model isn't just like, hey, I'm female and I'm running a company. But it's like all of these other things as well, right? And and just being yourself. There's the 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 queerness element. There is the tattoo element, which is a self-expression thing, right? And there's there's all these other things ab- about me that's like maybe steps a step aside from the norm. But I think everyone has that. And like just showcasing the breadth of of human beings you know people with different abilities you know who are just differently able and you know it's just like so many different things that that we need to look for diversity in yeah i I love this idea of strength in in diversity right a lot of times you're like oh i have to fit in 
right? I have to fit in to enable to, to succeed. But but more often than not, the you know, the crazies or the the, the the cools or the difference or the oh wow, like that that kind of inspiration brings with it innovation. And I think it also going back to you know our concept of you know AI itself, I think that's very important as well. Just representation in data sets and, and when you're dealing with data, if the data is all the same, then you're not going to get you know, robust results, right? Absolutely. And, and if you don't have people with different lived experiences in the room, you're not going to have anyone questioning your data. That's, that's just a fact, right? It's, it's not going to be good discussions. I think it was Patton who said, if, if everyone is thinking alike, then no one's really thinking. And, and I think that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, diversity isn't like, oh, let's be nice to people of color, people, you know, females, or, you know, it's, it, that's not what it's about, right? It's about, it's, it's seriously good business because otherwise it will backfire on you. Like that's, that's why you want to bring diversity in, right? It has nothing to do with being nice. I mean, it is also nice, but that's, that's besides the point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, this, this, this whole area of responsible AI and ethical AI is like, I think now is more of a lip service, but I think over the next 10 or 20 years, it's going to be like dollars and cents, right? Like it's going to be performance. It's going to be liability. It's going to be uh, legal. Uh, these are, these are things I think they're going to just continue to accelerate as we, as AI is just adopted further on as we move forward. Absolutely. And, and we will see, I mean, there'll be lawsuits against discrimination from an AI. I'm sure there must've been a few already, but you just need to be responsible with it, you know, with, with what you implement because it will backfire from a PR angle, from a legal angle, whatever it is. Looking to the future, uh, I wonder what uh, excites you or, or what applications of AI or maybe other future technologies that excite you looking to the, you know, looking forward. There is so much. I mean, I'm, I'm personally like super excited about like the future of food as well. Like, I think that is such an amazing, like I'm growing my own, like the, the pandemic has allowed me to like start my own hydroponic uh, little vegetable farm in my living room, which is cool. I love that. And I, I personally, I'm really excited about like the ability to do things more at home to kind of have technology, you know, really, really powerful technology come into everyone's hands. And we've seen that like with the, with the cell phone or with the, you know, smartphones. And, and we can see that on, on all different areas, right? So more powerful systems and, and both hardware and software. So that's, that's that. And then I also think there's, there's a lot of services that when automated can be available to a lot more people. So like, you know, I was, I was giving a talk to, uh, to a bank and we were talking about applications of AI and banking. And I think if you go back 10, 15, 20 years to banking, it was like personal advice, right? You, you had your, your, your bank guy or gal that you would go down to and talk about your personal economy or personal finances. And, and that doesn't, it, it might happen with some local banks, but for most people that doesn't happen anymore. But if you automate parts of that, if, if the chat bot that your bank has developed isn't the terrible chat bot that exists today, but actually a smart consolidated advice giving that knows that you, you know, should fix the suspension of your car within a year because you've had the car for however long you need to have a car for before you need to fix the suspension. But um, that kind of things. And then Fundamentally, though, I kind of want to dismantle capitalism too. So maybe banking was a terrible example, but I think I think like bringing services out to more people because you can do it at scale. I think that is really really powerful, uh, and that's kind of what in, in in some way what we want to do with Iris as well. We want to take all of that, you know, amazing scientific knowledge that exists in the world, 
and actually like make sure that anyone with a big problem to solve has that information at their fingertips. That's that's the fundamental premise for what we're doing. And obviously we have to go via the academics and the corporate R&D departments, but ultimately that's where we, where, you know, what we're striving for. Do you have any advice for uh, any young women who want to actually get involved in, in, in STEM? Uh, you know, what, what are some, like what's the best way for them to jump in, in into this field? Just kind of, do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things, right? I, I think for me, like I was going to study medicine, right? There was this path that I saw that was like driven by like part ambition, part fear of the unknown, part like what will people think? And then I ended up in theater instead. And so like, whatever it is that you want to do that drives you that, you know, for the US listeners, don't put you in a massive amount of student debt in a ter- terrifying economy. I will, I will add that disclaimer. But, you know, whatever it is that drives you, you're going to be learning and relearning about the thing you start with, but then about everything else too over the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of a career. So, you know, make sure you pick something interesting that you can keep diving into. The best career advice I ever got, I was freaking out because I was doing my master's in entrepreneurship and I'd done all these silly, crazy things already. And I was like, what what am I, you know, what am I doing? Like everyone else is applying for management trainee programs in like fancy companies. And I'm just like, not interested. What am I doing something wrong? And this career coach at my school, she said, look, your career is not some ladder that you're climbing. Your career is simply a collection of everything you have done up until this point. So I think I think that would be my my recommendation if you're going into kind of some STEM, you know, tech career and you're curious about that, just jump in, right? Just do the thing that gets you up in the morning that makes you go, "Okay, I'm going to spend an extra hour this afternoon or like I'm going to work some extra hours over the weekend." And then go take time off and make sure you get work-life balance. But but that thing that gets you up and gets you going, even when you really don't want to do it and you really just want to go cuddle up in bed and, and not do it anymore, but you still keep doing it, right? Focus on those things and and don't care what other people tell you. Yeah, this this idea of um, career pivots, I think, is really important because I, I think we were told back in the day that you know you have to pick one job and stick with it. But the reality of the situation is like, you know, if, if you're in your 20s or your 30s and or even older, of course, uh, and you're like, you know what, I want to get into tech, right? You can take a coding camp or like a product development class or things like this. And you can you can you can jump into that. And it you don't have to be, you know, a computer science undergrad, right? You can, as you said, like you are a CEO of a major you know tech startup and, you know, your background was in theater for a while. So like that's like that to me, like is, is the key here that I think people just they don't they don't give themselves a chance to, to kind of think thinking in that way exactly and i think i think there is i mean there is something to like getting an, an engineering degree or or like that technical degree like my, my sister is a marine engineer right and, and and it is obvious that she has some like seriously hard skills in the area of engineering that i am not even remotely qualified to think about so there is something to getting some really kick-ass skills in the you know as as the basis my my kick-ass skills are in communication, right? That's that's what I, you know, honed in on and got to practice through theater school. And that's what I'm good at, right? And now I get to combine that with like an amazing amount of science and, and work with these crazy good scientists every day. And 
And so, you know, pick what you what you're good at, what you like, what you enjoy. And and getting good at something isn't like an innate ability, right? It comes with practice. It comes with doing. So, good at is a is a silly term as well. But yeah, that would that would be my advice overall. <laughs> we talked earlier about mentors and, and you mentioned your grandmother as one. Uh, do you have any inspirations currently in terms of people either in technology or otherwise that, that inspire you today? So I've, I've never been, besides my grandmother, I've never been much for idolizing. But a few years ago, I, I, I realized I needed some more female role models to, to kind of pick instead of talking about like Steve Jobs. For me, one of the people I found that I'll mention as an example is, is Amanda Palmer. She's an artist. She is a musician. She is one of the first musicians ever to start an email list in like 95. And she has since used technology to build a very, very dedicated following. You know, she has a Patreon uh, account where I think she's like, she has followers for like $15,000 a month. So she gets to produce anything she wants. She gets to like make art removing the the desire the need to make something that will sell because people are paying her to make it not by buying it from her in a sense and so she's flipped that whole model on the side she has an amazing ted talk called the art of asking and and i just love her whole like mixture of art and technology and being like vulnerable and 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 fearless she's one of the one of the people that i would be come closest to to being an an, an idol and, and and inspire me if there are any listeners who are interested in learning more about Iris or, um, you know, academics who actually want to use your service, uh, where can they find out more? So our website is www.iris.ai. We have a tool for, for academics that they can sign up for to do literature reviews that is connected to, you know, 200 million open access articles and a bunch of patents and European funding opportunities and a number of different, different things like that. And then, uh, yeah, on the corporate side, there's also more, more information on the website about our data extraction and all kinds of geeky fun stuff. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for joining us today. These are the, the final days of the pandemic. So so soon we will be able to see one, uh, one another again in person as we have in the past uh, as well. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. That was XPRIZE's own Nima Tatkaniku in conversation with founder and CEO of Iris AI, Anita Sherl-Breda. Thanks for listening to the Future Positive Podcast. If you'd like to support our show, share this episode with fellow futurist friends, and remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Your feedback really does help. This podcast comes from XPRIZE, a global future positive movement of over 1 million people on Rising, delivering radical breakthroughs for the benefit of humanity. Sign up to join us and support the movement that is making a change in the world 10 times faster. Whether it's lending a hand, a dollar, or an idea, we all have a role to play in making the future a better place. The only way to get the future we want is to create it ourselves. Learn more at xprize.org. See you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.